Welcome back to Sports Cuts with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And at this very minute, rookies, both drafted and undrafted on numerous teams around the National Football League, are filing into rookie minicamps where they begin to make their case for a job. As they do so, we shall continue our division-by-division recap of the draft classes of all 32 teams and discuss what these rookies bring to the table. Today, we look at the NFC North. And to help us break down the draft classes of the Bears, Vikings, Lions, and Packers is our good friend Aaron Lemming of BearReport.com. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, Aaron. How you doing? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me back on, man. It was a fun time last time. I'm sure it'll be a fun time again. It's always a fun time with you, Aaron. You're one of the best in the business, and we thank you uh, yet again. And uh, and I have to say you're welcome as well. But uh, now let's uh, get out of business. And as a favor to you, we start out with your uh, Chicago Bears, who obviously had the third pick going into the 2017 uh, NFL draft. And uh, there was no draft class more maligned by the press than this draft class by the Bears. And it was for this reason that the Bears made the first of many surprising moves in the draft by trading up from three overall to two overall, in which they selected quarterback Mitchell Trubisky from North Carolina. And initially, they got ridiculed for the price they paid, but it turns out that it wasn't as high as the capital previous teams have surrendered to move from the third pick to the second pick. However, criticism remains. Multiple reports suggest that the Bears bought into rumors that other teams wanted to trade up to two to take Trubisky and ended up in a bidding war against themselves, kind of like they did for Mike Glennon uh, in free agency. According to your sources, why did the Bears trade up when the odds are Trubisky would have been there at three? You know, I really think this was, uh, I guess you could call it a leap of faith by Ryan Pace. I, I think obviously there's a lot of risk involved, and they possibly didn't have to trade up. I, I don't think we'll really ever know. Uh, you know, obviously science points to the fact that they didn't. But I, I think really what you can go back to, and especially what I point to with a lot of Bears fans, is you go back a few years ago, the 2017, or sorry, 2014 draft, and you look at uh, the difference between what they had and what they could have got now. Aaron Donald went one pick before Kyle Fuller. We've obviously seen how that's turned out. The Bears have uh, uh, declined the fifth-year option of Kyle Fuller. Aaron Donald's been an amazing player. So when you look at that and you kind of put that in perspective, the Bears have had a pretty rough uh, stretch here over the last two or three years to where they've had a guy that they wanted, and it's just kind of been pulled out from under them right at the last minute. So I think when you look at that uh, and you look at what the Bears gave up, they gave up two threes. They gave up a third uh, next year and a third you know, in this draft and then a fourth. And you look at those picks and going back to prior picks from Ryan Pace, you have Horanis Grasu and you have Jonathan Bullard as their two third-round picks that they've had so far. And then they've had a multitude of fourth-round picks. None of them have really panned out all that well. So I, I think, especially the way I look at it is, okay, maybe they didn't need to trade up and get Trubisky. But if that was their guy, that's their guy. And it, it's one of those things that, it doesn't matter. I mean, you look at what the what the 49ers did. I mean, they got Solomon Thomas, and then they turned around and they used one of those picks they got from the Bears to trade up, and then they got uh, uh, they ended up getting Reuben Foster. But you look at that, and even those two guys, as good as they could be, aren't going to have the impact that Mitch Trubisky could have in terms of being that uh, top quarterback, that franchise quarterback. And I think that's really what a lot of people have got to look at here. Maybe on paper it didn't look very good. Uh, maybe he didn't need to trade up. But ultimately, the biggest value on the whole entire field is that quarterback position and the fact that they identified him and, you know, being being a Bears fan and and seeing how they've dealt with a quarterback situation over the last really the 25, 30 years. There's been no conviction at the quarterback position outside of Jay Cutler. And that really didn't work out. I mean, they gave up two first round picks in the second round and the third round for him. So 
you really go back and you look at that, and 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 I admire what Ryan Pace did. I mean, it, it it's not going to be popular, but at the same time, is anybody going to look back here in a few years if if Mitch Trubisky ends up being a top ten quarterback and gets him in the playoffs or wins him a Super Bowl? Are they really going to look back in a few years and say, oh, okay, well. You know, they could have stayed at three and grabbed Solomon Thomas and then they, you know, and, and, and these other guys, it, it, those those other picks aren't going to matter. And I think that's really what it comes down to is, yes, it's a gamble. Obviously, you look at the whole entire draft class, but Trubisky as a whole, I mean, if Trubisky doesn't work out, this draft class is going to be a failure regardless. It doesn't matter if they traded up or they took him at three. So I think that's really what it comes down to. It's it's going it, to, it's a controversial move. I get it. Um, I can see why people don't like it, but in terms of being as tied in with the Bears as I have as of late, I mean, it, it's very understandable, and especially with Ryan Pace going into his third year, not really having much success, nine wins over two seasons. Uh, it's completely understandable and, to, in, at least in my mind, pretty justifiable. Yes, and I remember on our last episode um, that um, we did with you, uh, which was the breakdown of the uh, 2017 quarterback draft class, you said that you were a fan of Trubisky. Um, explain to our listeners again what uh, stood out to you about uh, Mitchell Trubisky and why you are personally happy, at least at the moment, that the Bears uh, took a chance on him. Well, I'm a big fan of Trubisky for a multitude of different reasons. Uh, I mean, he was my quarterback number one, um, followed by Deshaun Wa- or Kaiser, who didn't even get, end up getting taken to the second round and then Watson. But with Trubisky, I look at this guy and I see very good accuracy, and I see in, in not as a, in a whole, you know, as a whole in his game, but I, I see parts of his game that remind me a lot of Aaron Rodgers, and a lot of that has to do with his athletic ability to be able to get out of the pocket, to be able to make things happen in the pocket. But you look at him, and he doesn't have a ton of, I guess you could say, elite traits. He doesn't have a huge arm. He's got a good arm, but he doesn't have a huge arm. Uh, but you look at what he was able to do. I mean, his accuracy was huge. Uh, I, I think in terms of his pocket presence, I think that was another big thing. There was just so many different things that were really able to translate, at least in my mind, to the NFL level that are really going to help him out. I mean, obviously, he's got his, his fair share of negatives. He took the majority, uh, I think, what, 99% of his snaps out of the shotgun. Uh, he's a you know thir- 13 games overall, one-year starter. So obviously, there's there's a certain amount of risk involved. But when you when you look at him versus some of these other guys— uh, he's got more than a good enough arm to get things done. Uh, he reads the whole entire field, which I think was big. Uh, when I look at it, I mean, mechanics-wise, obviously, footwork is going to be an issue for every single one of these college quarterbacks, especially guys that come from the spread that are out of the shotgun. But when I look at his his mechanics, and especially his upper body mechanics, uh, I mean, he's, he's quick to load. He's got a quick release. Uh, I mean, it's... It's just something that translates very well. I think a lot of his issues outside of the experience, which is something, you know, is debatable, I guess you could say. But when you look at his issues, especially his footwork and stuff like that, I mean, that's stuff that can be developed. Um, But some of this other stuff, especially his pocket awareness, the way he's able to create plays as a pass first quarterback versus a guy like Deshaun Watson, who was more of a run first quarterback, I think is something that you really can't you really can't teach. And I think, you know, even if you can, it's going to be something that's going to develop over a long, uh, longer period of time. So I think when you look at him, like I said, there's not really many elite traits that he has, but he has a lot. And I mean, a lot of very good traits. And then you look at the other quarterbacks, like I said, Kaiser Watson, Mahomes, uh, they all had their fair share of good and bad. I mean, it's kind of one of those choose your flavor at this point in time as to who you like better. Um, but at least to me, and this was going into the process uh, far before I even thought the Bears were really, uh, you know, on to uh, Trubisky because I don't think really anybody did. Uh, but he, I mean, he was my top quarterback for those reasons. Like I said, there's a lot of good things to work with, and 
at least in my mind, I mean, I, I think he was one of the more NFL-ready guys, but he, he comes into a good situation. He fits what the Bears' offense is going to do. I mean, the run-pass option is something that the Bears ran last year. Uh, he's going to be able to do a lot of the intermediate routes, which is something that he's very good at. He needs, obviously, some uh, some work on his, uh, his touch on the deep ball, which is something that will come with time. But, I mean, he's got everything that you're looking for for the offensive system that Dow Loggins is running. And I think the situation where he's going to be able to sit back behind uh, – Mike Glennon and then really just develop. There's going to be no rush to put him in. And I think that's going to be a big thing for him and a good situation for him to be in. Yes. And I, I, I completely agree. And uh, since you mentioned that he spent uh, 99% of his uh, snaps uh, in the shotgun, it uh, takes me back to a point that we discussed also on our um, uh, quarterback episode was uh, that, uh, it, that in my humble opinion, uh, most uh, quarterbacks coming into the NFL today aren't ready to play day one and they could sit a year or two before they start. And you alluded to my next question, and uh, obviously given the amount of money the Bears are paying Mike Lennon and the fact about Trubisky's, uh, the, the transition Trubisky faces from a, a spread uh, system in college to a more pro-style system, would it be a surprise if Trubisky sat the entire season? I don't think it would be a surprise, um, but I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. I, you know, in theory... It's like you go back to last year, and you have you had the you know the top three quarterbacks and and Paxton Lynch, uh, Carson Wentz, and um, Jared Goff. And in theory, every single one of those guys is supposed to sit the whole entire year. Obviously, Paxton Lynch only got in due to injury, um, but you had a guy in Carson Wentz who looked so good in the preseason, and Philadelphia got a chance to finally trade Sam Bradford. They did it, and he started from week one. And Obviously, he had his bumps, uh, and I think the team as a whole got off to a pretty hot start and then kind of faded because they just lacked a little bit of talent and a little bit of experience. But even looking at a guy like Jared Goff, like I said, in theory, uh, it, it seems like a smart idea to sit and let these guys develop for a year or two. But when you go back and you look at especially the top five quarterbacks over, I think it's the last 20, 25 years, the only quarterback to sit for the whole entire season and not have played uh, or started one game was Carson Wentz or Carson Wentz. Sorry, Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer. Palmer. Yeah. yeah, Carson Palmer in Cincinnati. So you look at that, and it, it, like I said, it, I mean the odds are kind of stacked. In theory, it seems like a good idea, um, but ultimately, whether that be injury, whether it just be uh, a time where they feel like they can get him in, I do think at some point in time. I don't think it'll be week one, but I do think at some point in time uh, we'll see Trubisky likely finish the season. It's just a matter of when that is. That'll definitely be the uh, top thing on Bears fans' mind as, uh, this season. And uh, moving along here, I bet you that the Bears draft class was uh, obviously the most maligned by the uh, critics uh, in the days and weeks uh, following the draft. But in the second round, the Bears nabbed one of my absolute favorite players in this draft in tight end Adam Shaheen from tiny little Ashland College. And I can report that my Denver Broncos were trying to trade up for him according to several sources uh, who informed me about their knowledge of that situation. And Shaheen is a whopping 278 pounds, yet he runs a sub 4840. And this athleticism has led many to dub him as Baby Gronk. Do you think Shaheen can be that good? And if not, what's a more realistic comparison for him? You know, I think, obviously, especially with Bears fans, everybody wants <laughs> – Everybody wants to have those those lofty expectations, but I mean Rob, Gron Rob Gronkowski is one of the one of the better tight ends to play the game. So I think setting the, the bar that high, exactly, you know, and setting the bar that high is just it, it's tough. I like what I see out of Shaheen. My biggest 
concern with him is the level of competition. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously you you know because you've you've watched him, but when I went back and watched him, it's tough because you see him flat out dominating these guys. I mean, it was a grown it, he looked like a grown man playing against middle schoolers. I mean, it was it was very impressive uh, the, what he was able to do, and I think. In terms of, I look, I watch his blocking, and it's to me, it's not there. Uh, I, I don't see a lot of physicality, which is fine. I mean, they're likely not bringing this guy in to sit there and be a blocking tight end, which is fine. But I, I think the biggest thing with Shaheen is going to be separation. That was something that even even in the games that I saw, and very very little, especially with him coming out of such a small school with Ashland was uh, inconsistent separation. He was able to do a, you know, pretty much whatever he wanted uh, versus the competition that he faced. But with running with uh, defensive backs, running with linebackers, there was times where he didn't get good separation, which I think is going to make it to where he's probably going to be more of a, uh, I guess you could say, uh, pro- probably a red zone target for the first year or two. I think he needs to develop a better route tree. Um I saw him round off a lot of routes. I saw at times he didn't even really run a route. It was just kind of running, you know, getting in the open field and making a catch and going. And so I think that's definitely going to be an adjustment for him in terms of uh, overall, I guess you could say projections. Uh, I don't see a Rob Gronkowski. I mean, that would be great if he did. I I, I see him as probably being an above average guy. Um, But in terms of his game, I mean, he's so big, it's kind of hard to make a make a real comparison because I mean, the dude's basically 670, 6'6 six, six and a half. He's uh, almost 280 pounds. Uh, he's got some pretty good speed. Uh, but I really haven't been able to come up with a comp for him just because he's such a rare breed. I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, he's one of the bigger tight ends in the league already. Uh, but like I said, I in terms of, I guess you could say comp in terms of what he could be. I would definitely say, I mean, he could be a, a dangerous pass catcher, um, but I don't think he's ever going to be as dynamic as a Rob Gronkowski or a Jimmy Graham or anything like that. It, it seems like that's what the Bears are trying to do. Uh, but I would definitely say, I mean, his ceiling is, you know, a well above average, t- well above average tight end at this point. I still think that would be a very good um, uh, weapon for Mitchell Trubisky, though, even if he does uh, wind up that way. Uh, he'll obviously be an, a tremendous asset for Mitchell Trubisky in the uh, red zone going forward. And now moving on uh, to the Minnesota Vikings uh, draft class, and I thought they had another excellent, excellent draft. And yes, they did not have a first-round pick because of the Sam Bradford trade, in uh, which they surrendered uh, the 14th overall pick, which the Eagles used to select Derek Barnett. But in in round two, with their first draft pick at 41 overall, they picked a guy who, talent-wise at least, should have gone in the first round at Florida State running back Dalvin Cook, who clearly has the potential to be the long-term successor to future Hall of Famer Adrian Peterson. However, when you do look at this season, Cook finds himself in a crowded backfield. The Vikings obviously paid Latavius Murray quite a bit, so it'll be foolish to have Murray sit on the bench all season. And Jarek McKinnon is back as well, and he has some uh, traits that you could work with, especially uh, on third downs as a solid passing option out of the backfield. But uh, do you think Cook is the best back of the three already? And if so, at what point in the season would you expect him to become the lead back? You know, I, I love I love the Dalvin Cook pick. I had him as my my number two overall running back. I think you know it would just with the different things that had happened over the offseason. I know there was some character questions and stuff like that, but he was an easily. I mean, he's an easy first round talent. Uh, 
So I think when you when you look at the backfield of almost any team, especially in this kind of situation, Latavius Murray is a good back, but I don't think he's somebody. He's not a showstopper. He's not somebody that you're going to say, okay, you know, he's hands down going to be the starting running back. And I think you're seeing with a lot of different teams where they're using multiple different backs. And I think, I mean, Cook's one of those guys. He can really be a compliment to any any running back. And Jarek McKinnon, I mean, he's. He's definitely had some hype. I don't think he's quite lived up to that. I mean, he's a, he's a nice, I'd say, a change of pace back at this point in time. Um, but as far as it goes, I think it's going to be kind of a situation like a lot of teams do. I think it's going to be a hot hand type of situation. Uh, like I said, Murray has has been good, but he hasn't been overly consistent, I wouldn't say. Um, but I, I think, you know, you get a two, uh, three-headed monster going in there. But I think Cook's talent set uh, is, or skill set, should I say, is is definitely up there. I, I would definitely say, out of all the guys, I mean, he's probably the best running back that they have. Um, and I do think at some point in time, just kind of like the situation that happened last year with the Bears with Jordan Howard, all it takes is one injury for a guy to get in. And I think he's going to impress a lot of people. I think a lot of people overlooked him. Like I said, probably character concerns, you know, multiple different things. The draft process as a whole is just a time for everybody to overthink things. But I would say uh, probably before week seven, week eight, I, I would fully expect Dalvin Cook to be uh, the starting running back. I wouldn't say he's going to get you know, 30, 20, 30 carries a game, uh, but I do think at some point in time, within the near future of the, of the season, I do think he's going to become the future uh, back, and that's just how strongly I feel about him as a prospect. Oh, absolutely. I feel the same way about him, too. Uh, and uh, But obviously, to help Dalvin Cook, the Vikings needed to uh, improve their offensive line. And that offensive line, uh, one could argue, was the unit that separated them from a playoff berth uh, last season. And they obviously um, uh, went to work in free agency by beefing up the tackle position, by signing uh, Riley Reif and Mike Remmers. But with their um, uh, third-round pick, they selected arguably one of the two safest offensive line prospects of this entire draft in center Pat Elfline from Ohio State. And uh, Elfline, uh, like I, I mentioned, uh, he his floor is very, very high. And uh, he, I assume he'll play center or guard wherever they want him. But with Elfline um, on the interior now, plus the signing of uh, Reif and Remmers, do you think the Vikings have done enough to upgrade their offensive line in order to make it back to the postseason? I, I think their their tackle acquisitions were somewhat questionable. I think uh, Riley Reef is a guy that has been a little inconsistent over his career. I think he's a little bit better set off uh, as far as a right tackle. Mike Remmers has been, I'd say, inconsistent at best. Uh, unfortunately, that's just kind of a product of the tackle class as a whole. I mean, you look at the whether that be in free agency, whether that be in the draft, it was not a very strong one. Uh, but, I mean, overall, you look in – a lot of teams can get away with having subpar tackles if they have a strong interior line. They already have Alex Boone there. Uh, I think Elf line is a very good move for them because you look at last year and especially within the running game. I mean, just look at Adrian Peterson, for example, obviously a, a season cut short with injury, but he averaged right around two yards per carry. And I think uh, a lot of that had to do with their offensive line and their interior line. So, you know, going out and beefing it up, I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, good teams like the Green Bay Packers, for example, who have just somehow churned out multiple uh, talented interior linemen, and that's helped out a lot. I mean, when you look at, you know, quarterback situation in general, uh, the majority of the pressure that they have trouble dealing with is interior pressure. So strengthening the interior line, whether that be through center, whether that be through guard, uh, is big, but yeah, that was definitely a, a big need for them going into this off season. You know, having watched uh, many of their games last year, I mean, sometimes you, regardless of what quarterback you have, unless you have an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, 
uh, your offensive line is going to really dictate how far you get. And I think a lot of what happened with them going at the end of the season and why they tailed off so bad was that offensive line. And that goes with uh, pass protection and just the run game as a whole. So I think really strengthening the interior line, especially with somebody like Alfline, is a, is a really good move for them. Yes, I believe so, too. Elf Lion will be um, uh, opening up lanes for Dalvin Cook for quite a while there in Minneapolis. And now moving on to the uh, Detroit Lions. And with the 21st uh, overall pick with in the first round, the Lions selected uh, Florida linebacker Jared Davis. And Davis is a very, very good player. Uh, he's a three-down linebacker. He, he, he has the requisite speed to play in today's NFL uh, also a very violent tackler, and uh, above all, uh, he brings uh, leadership traits that the Lions' defense uh, has been missing uh, since uh, injuries uh, have injuries robbed DeAndre Levy, and uh, I believe they do have their long-term successor to him, but they did pass over Reuben Foster. I understand the reasons why the Lions and most other teams in the first round passed over Foster because of injury concerns and some character concerns, but uh, yes, uh, it might be too early, but in my opinion, it's never too early to start making initial predictions. So uh, I, I like the Jared Davis pick. Don't get me wrong. But do you believe the Lions will be rewarded long term for selecting Jared Davis over Reuben Foster? You know, I think Reuben Foster was definitely a top 10 talent in the draft. So I think, you know, when you look at the pick, like you said, you can understand why they did it. I think Reuben Foster is probably going to be the better player. And, you know, you look at the off the field concerns that Foster had, but in, in his shoulder injury, or I think it was a shoulder. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. He, he had some medicals that were an issue too. But you look at a guy like Jared Davis, and Jared Davis is kind of one of those. He's an interesting player. I think both both players kind of fit the three down lineman uh, linebacker. Sorry, but you look at a guy like Davis, and he's had some injury concerns. I mean, he's a. I would say he's probably if been healthy his whole entire college career. He's probably a top 20, 25 talent. Uh, but I mean, health concerns are a big issue. I think the big thing with, with this pick and uh, I think why it was such a value for the lions was the fact that he is a three down guy and he's very aggressive. And that's something that you really don't see that much nowadays. And it's actually something that Ray Lewis talked about not too long ago. There's a very different skill set that it takes to be a linebacker now. And, and Davis is only six one, so he's not as big as, you know, Lewis was or Erlacher and all those guys, you know, that, but you look at a guy, I mean, he's almost 240. He's got good speed. Um, he can, he plays well against the run. He's, he's good in pass coverage, but he's aggressive. And I think that's something, even with a guy like Keekley, Keekley's not a big hitter. You see a lot of these guys in today's NFL where they're, they don't have that same grit. And I think that's something that, that Davis brings. And if you go back a few years and you see those top defenses that the Lions had, it's because they had such a good linebacking core. And I think that's something that they've been missing, especially in a 4-3 I mean, you've got to have at least two good linebackers, and they've lost a lot over the last few years, whether that be Levy or whether – I mean, you know, Tahir Whitehead's kind of stepped up last year. But overall, as a whole, uh, you know, they've they've really missed a lot at linebacker over the last few seasons to where they were before. So I think a guy like Davis definitely makes some sense. I mean, they have some good talent on that defense. Uh, but I do agree. I mean, the overall, you look at the, the difference between Foster and Davis. I think Foster is uh, easily – the the better talent, at least in my evaluation, I can understand why it would have been the issue that it was uh, for some teams. There's, there's a reason he dropped as far as he did in the first round. Uh, but I mean, when you're picking a 21, you're kind of in that back half anyway. And that's kind of the, 
that's kind of the time to start taking chances on, uh, I, I guess you could say character concerns or whatever it may be. And so we'll see. I, I definitely think Davis fits well. I think Foster would have fit just as well, but I do think Foster is the better player and will have the better career. And that'll definitely be an interesting development, uh, going forward. And, uh, I, for the record, I still was, uh, like you, a big fan of uh, the pick of Jared Davis by the Lions in round one, but I was not a fan, personally, of the Lions' selection of Davis's Florida teammate, cornerback Tease Tabor, in round two. Uh, and it was one of my least favorite picks in that round, personally, although I think my Broncos outdid the Lions with Demarcus Walker, but that's just me. But uh, back to Tabor, yes, he does have decent ball skills, but his speed, or lack thereof, was a major red flag for many scouts. What did you think of this pick, personally, and what do the Lions have to do schematically in order for Tabor to be successful? Well, I had I had a second-round grade on Tease Tabor. I know a lot of people weren't a big fan of him because of his time speed, but when I go back and I watch him, and you can go back, I mean, just pick up a draft magazine from last year, and you can see, I mean, he was one of the top corners uh, listed for you know this this year's draft, and I think I think a lot of people get a little little too into time speed, straight line speeds, because when you watch, especially with a guy like Tabor, when you watch him, he's got plenty enough speed on the field. I mean, there's there hasn't been one time when I've seen any of his footage where I've been like, man, he's just a little too slow. And I get it. You know, the time speed is obviously a little bit of a red flag. Uh, but in terms of in terms of what he's able to bring, I think. This is why the, the speed isn't a concern for me, because I look at him and I see somebody who uh, technically is very sound. And I think that's big at the corner position, because we've seen guys that have very good speed, very good straight line speed, but still can't hang with receivers. And I think, I mean, his coverage skills are very good, uh, but overall his technique is big. And I think that's something that's going to help him out a lot at the next level. I mean, he's got good size. He's six foot, 200 pounds. Uh, you know, I think obviously it's... It, depending on what you view, I mean, it's a little bit of a risk, uh, you know, with the, with the straight line speed. But like I said, I think when I looked at at least my evaluation of Tabor was the fact that his straight line speed, what he did at the combine and what he did at his pro day, obviously weren't very impressive and a bit of a concern. But when you actually watch him on tape, at least for me, there was, I, there was not one time when I looked at him and said, you know, this guy, this guy's just not fast enough. And that's when I kind of go back to trusting my evaluations versus what I'm seeing. People sometimes don't perform well. It's like, you know, you could go into a classroom and you could study and you can understand every single bit of the material, but then you go to take the test and sometimes you're just not a good test taker. And I think that's sometimes what goes on with the combine. And I think some, you know, combine is a very good, uh, a very good measurement to be able to put into your overall evaluation. But in terms of speed, I mean, we've seen it with receivers and other guys multiple times where they run, you know, I think Kevin White's a prime example where, where these guys are running in the four threes and they get on the field or you watch a tape and it's like, you know, I don't see four three speed. I see a four four five or a four five, but I'm not seeing that four three speed. So some guys just run better in straight lines than others. And I think with Tabor, I think it was just a matter of he didn't run quite as good. Um, and he didn't test quite as good. But on tape, I saw what I saw, and quite frankly, I'm a, I'm a big fan of him. Definitely, Eric. You definitely bring up a good point about game speed versus a combine speed, and that's a, a distinction that all um, uh, draft observers have to be aware of. Uh, when it comes to every, every every single prospect. And moving on to the reigning uh, NFC uh, North champion, Green Bay Packers, and that's uh, a, a thing that uh, we all have gotten used to hearing consistently these past several decades because of the stability uh, the Packers had at the quarterback position. Their pass defense 
was absolutely atrocious last season as Green Bay finished second to last in that category. Thus, it was no coincidence they addressed the secondary with their first two picks in the draft with Washington cornerback Kevin King at 33 overall and uh, hybrid safety corner Josh Jones from North Carolina State, both second-round picks. How do Kevin King and Josh Jones automatically upgrade the Packers' secondary on day one of the regular season, if at all? Well, I think you look at what they were, what happened last year, and I, I think missing Sam Shields uh, was a big thing. Obviously, they now cut him, um, and they've they've made uh, really a lot of additions, especially within the draft, uh, within the secondary over the last few years, and some have panned out, some haven't. But you look at a guy. We'll start off with Kevin King here. Uh, they were able to trade back a little bit. They got uh, they got a few extra picks, which is which is nice, and they were still able to grab a quality corner in Kevin King. I think. The biggest thing with King when I watched him is I, I'm a fan of King. Uh, I more was more a fan of him in the you know late second, early third, uh, and this is why. I mean, he's got good size, he's got good length. He's six three, he's two hundred pounds, so he's a little on the skinny side. That's not, not as quite as big of a deal to me as it is to some people, uh, you know. And he came from a very good Washington secondary that I guess you could say they're very versatile in terms of coverage schemes. So obviously that's a big plus. But I think people obsessed with size a little bit too much in certain situations like this. And it's not to say that Kevin King is a bad, uh, bad corner because he, he's very good. And I think he has a very high ceiling, but I saw people start making comparisons to him and Sidney Jones as to how close they were in terms of product going in the NFL. And to me, I thought Sidney Jones was a much more polished player outside of obviously the, the injury that he had, which caused him to drop. But you look at a guy like Kevin King, he's got good size. He's got good overall speed. His, his combine actually surprised me a little bit. I think it did uh, most people. I had him, you know, you watch him and he's another one of those players that's like, okay, you know, I don't see a speed issue, but I also don't see somebody who's running as fast as he did uh, at the combine, which isn't a big deal. Uh, so you look at him and overall, I think that's a, you know, it's a good move. Um, but my only caution with that is I wonder if these teams put a little bit too much value into his size and his length and not enough into where he is overall. I think he's a little bit more raw than some of the corners that were taken before and after him, which isn't always a bad thing. I definitely think it's an upgrade over some of the guys that they were starting in the secondary. I mean, they also lost uh, Micah Hyde, who played in the slot for them. He played a little bit outside corner and played safety. So that's definitely big. And then moving on to Josh Jones, he was somebody that everybody had a little bit different evaluation on, including myself. Uh, I had him more in the third or fourth round. I know a lot of people uh, had him as a second round, so I'm not going to call it a reach. It's just a matter of opinion on different evaluations. I know some people actually had him as a uh, late first rounder. What I see with Josh Jones is I see a big physical guy. I mean, this is somebody who played strong safety up until this last year, and he moved to uh, the free safety. My biggest concern with Josh Jones is that I don't know that I see uh, enough coverage ability for him to be a free safety. So I think really what this comes down to is what kind of role are they going to use him in? And reportedly, they're going to use him in that that strong safety hybrid linebacker type role, which I think would be perfect for him. And if that's the case, I think this is an awesome pick because I think he can fit that day on Buchanan type role, uh, how Arizona uses him. I, I just don't know if I see enough coverage. I do like him. He's a physical guy. He's 6'1", 220. He's a big dude. Uh, he's not afraid of contact. Uh, he covers pretty well, especially at the line. You look at, I mean, he was able to cover uh, tight ends. He was able to cover, you know, in the slot. Uh, but in terms of his overall range, and uh, as far as the center fielder, I didn't really see it. But like I said, I think really what this this pick comes down to with Jones is going to be a fit. 
Uh, if he can be that hybrid safety linebacker, I think he's going to be phenomenal in that role. Uh, but if they try to slide him in as a, as a free safety, then I think they may see some issues that they, I don't know that he's going to be much of a liability, but I think it's going to be more of a how much how much of a playmaker are you going to get at it with a guy like Jones that doesn't have, uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, overall good range uh, versus having him as an in the box kind of guy. I mean, if he's covering at the line, I think he's going to be a lot better off, and I think he can use his physicality more there. So I think a lot of that uh, for both of these guys. I mean, Kevin King is going to be somebody that you're going to need to bring along. Uh, I think he could start from day one just because of what they had last year, but I think he's somebody that you don't want to rush. He is in a good, um, you know, a good scheme fit for them. Then with Josh Jones, it's all about the role, man. If they put him in that safety linebacker type hybrid role, I think he's going to be really good. But I'm hoping they don't switch him over to free safety and expect him to be out there uh, playing center field and making interceptions. Aaron, you definitely uh, brought up a, a, an excellent point about Josh Jones. I heard uh, on NFL Network's uh, Path to the Draft program in there on the post-draft edition, uh, Bucky Brooks said that uh, he believes that that, the role that Jukes played for Josh Jones, that role of the strong safety linebacker hybrid, is the best possible role for him, and he thinks he could challenge Morgan Burnett for that starting spot uh, on day one. Uh, Do you uh, share that belief with Bucky Brooks? You know, I I don't know if I'd go as far as saying that he could... uh basically replace Morgan Burnett because Morgan Burnett's a really good player. I mean, I think he's one of the better players in the secondary, but I think there's ways, I mean, look at the, look at what the Arizona Cardinals have done. I mean, they have multiple different roles. I mean, they had a Tony Jefferson and like a strong safety type role. He played a little bit of free safety. And then obviously Tyron Matthew, they had uh, that played more of a free safety and also played some, uh, some strong safety, but then they had Deion Buchanan who played that linebacker uh, strong safety hybrid role. So I think, it all depends because you look at what's going on in today's NFL and these base defenses, whether that be a four, three or three, four only being run 30, 35% of the time, even a team like the Patriots are only running it uh, about 25 to 20% of the time. So it, it it's really, how are you going to adjust to the personnel that you have and what are you looking to do? I mean, you look at a team like the bears, for example, they run a three, four front, uh, they run uh, sub packages about 65% of the time, but they're pretty, uh, I mean, they run more of a uh, nickel than they do a dime. So I, I think it's really going to be what kind of adjustments they make. But no, I wouldn't say that Josh Jones is a guy that's going to come in right away and take Morgan Burnett's job, because I think Morgan Burnett is one of the better safeties in the league, especially at the strong safety role. Uh, and they already have ha-ha Clinton Dix there as well. So I think it's just going to be carving out a niche uh, and, and a role for Josh Jones to have and you look at some of their linebackers, and they don't have the strongest linebacking core, especially on the inside. So Jones is a guy, I mean, he's 220. Uh, he's built pretty well. So I think, you know, adding an extra 5, 10 pounds on him, I think he's somebody who could play inside but have a little bit better coverage ability um, than their current inside linebackers do right now. He's Aaron Lemming, ladies and gentlemen, of BearReport.com. Follow him on Twitter at Aaron Lemming NFL. And before we head into the final segment of our program today, got one more question about the uh, Packers draft. Uh, They uh, weren't done after uh, picking Kevin King and Josh Jones on day two. At 93 overall, in round three, they picked uh, Montrevious Adams, a defensive tackle from Auburn. And a thing that I've also noticed missing from this Packers defense over the past several years is that they have yet to find a stable replacement for B.J. Raji because – one of the more underrated components of that uh, Super Bowl season the Packers had in 2010 was their defense's amazing, amazing ability to to stop the run. 
and uh, B.J. Raji was obviously the focal point of that run defense. And uh, do you believe the Packers have gotten Raji's long-term successor in Montrevious Adams? Yeah, Adams is a good prospect. I, I liked him coming out, and I think he is better suited for more of a nose tackle role. I mean, he's 6'4", he's 304, so he's not overly huge. And depending on what type of front you're looking at, I mean, you can look at multiple different teams uh, that either run smaller defensive linemen as a whole or bigger defensive linemen as a whole. But, yeah, I think Adams is a very good fit. I think he definitely fits better in that nose tackle role. Uh, I don't see quite the upside as a pass rusher, but he's he's very good against the run, and I think he's somebody who fits really well in the middle. I mean, they've they've gone through multiple different uh, bodies. Uh, Latroy Guyon, uh, you know, obviously B.J. Raji retired at the uh, the beginning of well, I guess you could say the beginning of last offseason. So that's definitely going to be something, especially when you look at those three four base fronts. Uh, you want space eaters. You want guys who can play uh, two gap roles. And I think Montrevis Adams is actually, uh, you know, is a very good fit for that type of role. So I definitely think that could be a quality addition for them. Defensive linemen are very weird, though, especially when you're taking these guys in the draft. Uh, sometimes you don't really know how uh, how exactly they're going to translate over to the NFL level. I mean, there's been multiple uh, different examples going both ways of guys that have either panned out much better than people expected, or there's been guys that have had high expectations that really haven't done much. So it's almost kind of like a corner type role. I mean, when you look at the Packers uh, draft class as a whole, going secondary and going defensive line within their first three picks like that, there's a certain amount of risk involved just because those are two of the harder positions outside of, let's just say, quarterback uh, for these guys to be able to translate from the college level to the NFL level. So, I mean, there's there's a, a small level of risk involved, uh, but there's also a big reward and especially a defense that definitely needs some help. I mean, you got Aaron Rodgers on the field. If you can if you can field the top 10 defense and you're going to be pretty close to unstoppable. Most definitely. And that's obviously what they're hoping for in Titletown. Uh, this season and for the remainder of Aaron Rodgers' career. And now let's move on to the final segment of our program in which I ask uh, you three basic questions to sum up uh, all these uh, draft classes in the NFC North as a whole. In your opinion, who was the absolute best pick and the absolute worst pick of all these four teams? Oh, man, that's uh, that is a good question. I'm going to say the best pick. I'm going to go ahead and go with Dalvin Cook. Uh, like, like, you know, like we talked about, I think when you really look at him as a whole, I think that was a great value. You get a first-round talent in the second round. I think he's somebody who can come in and have a big impact. I mean, they don't have a big-time quarterback in Sam Bradford. I mean, he's he's a, I would say he's an average quarterback, but something that they really missed, especially down the stretch last year, was a consistent run game. Uh, in terms of worst pick, man, that's there's a, quite a few out there. Um, I guess he could probably go with the Bears, and I know some people are kind of high on him, and I'm not particularly – convinced with this pick and that would be jordan morgan in the fifth round uh he's somebody especially when you look at because you got to look at when you look at draft picks you got to look at fits a little bit here and i think with jordan morgan you you look at what the bears already have on the interior line and i think there's a multitude of different ways they could have gone and especially going with that uh, that third uh you know uh, uh small school pick it was definitely a little confusing i mean there was definitely some poor picks and the bears definitely had their fair share uh, along with some other teams, but I think Jordan Morgan would probably be, uh, I'd say, the worst pick out of uh, out of the bunch. And uh, what were the what was the absolute best pick for the remaining teams aside from the Vikings, and the absolute worst pick of the remaining teams aside from the Bears? Well, you know, that's uh, I, I would say my favorite pick uh, overall outside of uh, outside of Dalvin Cook 
it's got to be Kenny Galladay, the receiver out of Northern Illinois um, that the the Lions took in the third round. I thought that was an excellent pick. I watch him, and I see uh, the makings of a number one receiver. I mean, the guy was absolute dominant. He's a little raw. I came from a smaller school, so I think there's definitely some. Uh, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, a, a little bit of unknown there for sure. Um, but, I mean, overall, he was definitely – he was somebody that I was hoping that the Bears were going to grab. Um, and in terms of worst pick out of the other teams, you know, I really – it's 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 kind of tough to – I mean, there was – everybody had such a solid draft outside of, I guess you could really say, the Bears. Uh, I don't really know that there's one pick that I could identify. Maybe Ben Gideon uh, from the Vikings in the fourth round seemed a little questionable to me. I think I had a, a six-round grade on Gideon, and he went uh, in the fourth round in the 14th pick. So I guess if I had to had to nail something down, that would probably be, uh, I guess, the the worst pick out of those. Yeah, Lance Zierlein of NFL.com uh, raised a similar point on Gideon. Uh, people don't think he's uh, fast enough to play linebacker in today's uh, NFL. And uh, they say that um, uh, days one and two of the draft are where the sizzle occurs. But uh, day three, that's where your team is built because that's where you get all the meat that is needed to um, uh, complete a roster and to make a a roster deep and uh, sustainable and uh, playoff ready. And uh, who was uh, your favorite pick on day three for each team and why? Each team. Well, uh, for the Vikings, we'll start with the Vikings here. I think Bucky Hodges was a phenomenal value. I had a, I had a second, uh, borderline second to third round grade on him. Uh, so the fact that he was taken in the sixth round uh, was, it was surprising and it doesn't really make much sense to me. Uh, so that would definitely be my pick there. Uh, for day three with the Packers, Jamal Williams out of BYU. I thought that was a phenomenal pick. Uh, he was one of my favorite uh Favorite running backs overall in the draft. I think he's got a, a good mix of speed, and I think he's somebody that can complement very well with what they're trying to do over there. Um, that was definitely one of my more uh, favorite picks. I think for the Bears, uh, Tariq Cohen. I, I know a lot of people are kind of looking at him like, man, this guy's five six. Uh, doesn't really look like a full time uh, kind of player. Uh, but you know, honestly, when I watched his game, uh, I had more of a borderline fourth to fifth round grade on him, but. He was somebody that really impressed me. Uh, he's just somebody that he adds that kind of element. I mean, you look at he's he's drawn a lot of comparisons to uh, the Darren Sproles, and you look at somebody like that, and Sproles only gets you know ten to fifteen, maybe twenty touches a game, but every single time he's on the uh, on the field, I think it's really uh, you know he he makes a good impact. And I think for the Lions, and I know this is kind of funny because it's a you know quarterback late in the late in the draft, but Brad Kai was a surprisingly good value. This is somebody that I had a I had a fourth round grade on. And he went at the very tail end of the sixth round for the Lions. And I think that's a really good pick because you can always have, you know, Matt Stafford's going to be their their long-term starter and they're working on a contract for him right now. Uh, but Brad Kai is somebody who I think they could sit back and develop for two or three years and uh, become probably an average starter. But, I mean, at worst case, he's somebody as a backup who's going to have value. He's going to be controlled, especially in the late rounds. He's basically going to be making right around a million dollars a year. Uh, and to be able to have that kind of guy for four years, and let's say he works out and plays well, I mean, the value of backup quarterbacks that come in and have a you know a, a good stretch, I mean, the, the trade value goes through the roof because teams are always looking for their next starting quarterback. He's Aaron Lemming once again, ladies and gentlemen. He writes for BearReport.com, NFL Insider, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Lemming NFL. 
And uh, before uh, we go, Aaron, we always ask uh, this question when we do these uh, draft recap uh, episodes. Yes, I'm one of the firm believers that it is absolutely foolish to grade a draft class just days after the draft. You have to wait for the product to unfold on the field, and that process takes about three to four years. So in three to four years, which of these four draft classes do you think will be the best in practice? I would say the the Vikings, and I think really you look at what they were able to do in terms of depth, and like you just said, day three has always been big. I mean, they picked up a guy like Stacey Coley, uh, Bucky Hodges, and I think a lot of people like to devalue offensive line picks. But, I mean, between uh, Pat Elfline and between uh, Danny Isorda, I think that was a good pick. And then Dalvin Cook, I think, is going to be big. I don't think he'll have the, the impact that Adrian Peterson did because, you know, not many guys are. But I think this is one of those – they already have a good deep roster. But in order to keep adding talent and, and – I mean, some of these guys are going to be role players. But I think, like I said, I mean, the two names that really stick out to me are Bucky Hodges and Stacy Coley. Those are the kind of players – that can absolutely define a draft class because if Coley comes in, even if he's a, you know, a second or third receiver and Bucky Hodges, I mean, he could, at least in my mind, he's somebody who could start for them day one. I think the tight end position has been a little bit disappointing for them, but those are the kind of drafts. When I look at drafts, you can look at the top end of everything. Elijah Lee was another nice pick and you can look at these guys and you can say, okay, you know, the top end of the draft may be good. You may hit on one or two guys, but when you have the multitude of picks that the Vikings did and the, the depth that they had, I mean, you're getting these guys in the sixth, seventh round uh, that, in my mind, had, uh, you know, day two, early day three grades on them. Uh, I think that's big, and I think that's really going to pay off for the Vikings. Thank you very much, Aaron. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with Decrom. But we plan to be back with more of our draft recap series next week, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. For Aaron Lemming, our producer Chris Broadhead, man in the box, I'm David Cromelo saying so long and stay awesome.